This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app or join our emailing list at coldwarconversations.com. In November of 1982, at the height of the Cold War, Samantha Smith, a 10-year-old girl from Manchester, Maine, wrote to the Soviet leader Yuri Andropov and asked him if he was going to wage a nuclear war against the United States. When an unprecedented response from Andropov arrived and Samantha received an invitation to visit the Soviet Union, she and her family embarked on a journey that brought the two warring nations closer together. I speak with author Lena Nelson, who was born in the Soviet Union and has spent the past 15 years researching and documenting the story of Samantha Smith and creating an archive at samanthasmithinfo.com. Lena reveals how Samantha Smith's journey in the summer of 1983 helped melt the hearts of the Soviets and thaw the ice of the Cold War. We talk about the interviews she conducted in both the US and Russia with key players and tell the story of this unprecedented moment in history. Lena's book, America's Youngest Ambassador, The Cold War Story of Samantha Smith's Lasting Message of Peace, is available via links in the episode notes. The battle to preserve Cold War history is ongoing, and your support can provide me with the ammunition to continue to keep this podcast on the air. Via a simple monthly donation, You'll become one of our community and get a sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. If a monthly contribution is not your cup of tea, we also welcome one-off donations via coldwarconversations.com slash donate. I'm delighted to welcome Lena Nelson, to our Cold War conversation. So I first heard of her in April of 1983 when her letter was publicized in the Soviet newspapers, particularly the answer that she received from Yuri Andropov. And it was my grandmother, um, who in the book is, you know, I refer to as Baba Valya because that's how we um, refer to her at home. Uh, she told me that there was this American girl who wrote the letter to the Soviet leader and asked him if the Soviets wanted to start a nuclear war. And I remember my reaction was, uh, I thought it was the Americans that wanted to start the nuclear war. You know, that's what we were taught. Like, what kind of question is that? 
And then to add to it, my grandma said that the leader responded to her and then invited her to um, the Soviet camp, Artek. And I don't know if uh, you have heard of Artek, but back uh, then in the Soviet Union, um, for Soviet kids, Artek was akin to Disneyland. So to me, the whole story was kind of incongruent. How could you ask such an odd question and then get a response plus this reward to go to Disneyland? And um, it was difficult. Well, I, I at the time, I did not know anyone who had gone to Artek. So I thought, ah, he, she must have had some connections because this is just too weird that this girl asks this question and then gets to go to this fabulous camp on the Black Sea. So yeah, that was kind of the beginning of the Samantha Smith story for me. So you're, you're almost, your initial reaction is one of envy. How did she manage to get this this fantastic holiday and I'm working hard in the Soviet Union and I can only dream right. of this stuff. Right. I was a part of the what was known as a sports class in um, my school. I was a figure skater and the other half of the kids in my class were gymnasts. So we did have early mornings and late evenings and like, we worked really hard. And yet I did not know anyone who um, got to go to Camp Artec. So um, the fact that this girl wrote the letter really uh, piqued my attention and then got rewarded by, with this trip. So, yeah, but, um, you know, for many years, I actually thought that this was um, envy. But as I was writing the book, I realized, you know, being a parent as well, that a lot of it was confusion. You know, we are being told this side of the story. You know, Americans are the enemy. And yet this American girl writes this letter and then somehow it's one acknowledged. Uh, big news are made out of it. And then she gets rewarded. So I think it's the confusion that I experienced as a kid because there was two different kinds of messages being sent. And um, I was not sure how to reconcile that in my head. But I definitely noticed um, the girl because that was very big news at the time. Yeah, it was big news across the world. I mean, I, I remember it being shown on uh, on British TV. But with Samantha, I mean, how did the idea of her writing to the Soviet leader take take form i mean you know it, it's not something you'd expect a kid to just suddenly want to do right um so as her mother told me she uh, watched a show on uh, pbs that was about nuclear holocaust and i guess that scared her enough that it creeped into her dreams and um, the next morning um, she actually came up to her mom and asked her mom are we going to have a war and um I think the way uh, the Smiths were raising Samantha, it was that, you know, they validated her questions. It wasn't just like, you know, oh, honey, everything will be okay. They actually, um, sh she sat down with her. I think she was ironing at the time. She sat down the iron, sat down with her, and they looked through the Time magazine together that um, I think Jane looked at a couple of days earlier. And it had a picture of Yuri Andropov, who was then, you know, the new Soviet leader at the time. And Jane was kind of, I think, expressing like, well, I hope that, this new person will do something to improve the relations because they really aren't that great. And they talked about nuclear bombs. And I think Samantha said something to the effect of, we have bombs because we are afraid of them and they have bombs because they're afraid of us. Uh, why doesn't somebody just ask uh, the Soviets, are you going to start a nuclear war? And she asked her mom, why don't you write to him? 
And um, I think the reason she wanted her mom to write to uh, Andropov was because in the past, um, Samantha attended quite a few of her father's um, classes in college when uh, she was a little kid and they didn't have a babysitter. Arthur would take her to classes with him. And letter writing was something that he taught his students as part of his English curriculum. It was an important skill. He wanted his students to be able to advocate for themselves. And I guess, you know, Samantha was listening because at the age of five, she uh, watched Queen Elizabeth's tour of Canada and she told her parents, I want to write the Queen the letter. And so um, she wrote the letter and they helped her address it. And she actually got a response from the Queen's um, lady in waiting. So that, I think, is what planted the seed that, hey, you know, you can write, you can express your thoughts and you might get a response. And that's why maybe because she thought, hey, this works. And of course, asking an adult to do it would make more sense. So she asked her mom to write the letter and her mom being busy, she just said, why don't you? And that's how it kind of started is, uh, you know, she went to her room and wrote the letter and um, it was actually very well put together letter. And that's what started the whole thing for her. And there's this initial impact with the news where, you know, the, the press want to speak to her and what have you. But but Samantha's disappointed that she doesn't get a reply from Andropov and takes further steps to uh, make contact. Yeah, right. Because when her letter arrived in Moscow, somehow it ended up being published in um, the Soviet newspaper Pravda. And this was part of a quite of a long-standing conflict between American and Soviet uh, media, because in February, a few months earlier, there was a batch of letters uh, from the West published in Pravda. And when uh, Americans went to um, fact check, they couldn't find the correspondence. So they accused the Soviets of manufacturing the names. So in April, when they were publishing the next batch, um, they decided to take a picture of the letters. And that is where on the top of the pile was uh, Samantha's letter. And that's what got attention. And uh, she was contacted at her Manchester Elementary School by a reporter who asked her, did you write a letter um, to Andropov? And um, she had like a short conversation with a reporter. And they found the, the newspaper and translated it. And in the article, the editors made fun of her. They said, well, you know, we can excuse her question because the child is only 10 years old. That did not sit well with her, apparently. And um, she thought her questions were great. And so she wrote a letter to um, the Soviet ambassador in Washington, D.C. And um, she said, they said I was forgiven for asking that question just because I'm only 10 years old. I think that my questions were good questions to ask and my age has nothing to do with it. I'm disappointed that he has not written back to me. So um, I guess that did it. And yeah. uh, two weeks later, she uh, got a phone call from uh, the post office. And they said that the strange envelope uh, addressed to Samantha Smith uh, has arrived. And uh, she and her dad went to the post office before school to pick it up. And, and what did that letter say? That was a personal letter from Yuri Andropov. Yes, it was actually quite a long letter. And I think Samantha uh, referred to it as a little history lesson that Andropov gave her. But um, basically, you know, he started with, uh, it seems to me, and I can tell by your letter, that you are a courageous and honest girl, resembling Becky, the 
friend of Tom Sawyer in the famous book of your compatriot, Mark Twain. This book is well known and loved in our country by all boys and girls. And then he goes on to tell her about um, how uh, the Soviet Union, uh, tr they're trying to do everything so that there will be uh, no war between our countries. So that in general, there will not be war on earth. And he says, Soviet people well know what a terrible thing war is. 42 years ago, Nazi Germany, which strived for supremacy over the whole world, attacked our country, burned and destroyed many thousands of our towns and villages, killed millions of Soviet men, women, and children. In that war, which ended with our victory, we were in alliance with the United States. Together, we fought for the liberation of many people from the Nazi invaders. So um, he kind of continues to assure her that they were not going to start the war. And in the end, um, he says, I invite you, if your parents will let you, to come to our country, the best time being this summer. You will find out about our country, meet with your contemporaries, visit an international children's camp, Artek on the Sea, and see for yourself, in the Soviet Union, everyone is for peace and friendship among peoples. So um, when she read that last part is when she asked her dad, you know, can we go? And uh, her dad said, we'll see. And that is when uh, she kind of knew that they probably would, because that's what he always said just before he said yes. Now, with Andropov's reply, the press frenzy gets even bigger. And, you know, Samantha is invited onto some of the biggest chat TV shows. You know, Johnny Carson, who... British listeners n might not be familiar with, but he was a huge name uh, for chats shows and, and ABC Nightline. I mean, how did Samantha fare on those shows? Well, that was that was, was so surprising uh, even to her parents because a couple of months prior, she was too shy to audition for a school play. So when she um, arrived home from school that day, the lawn was covered with reporters and, you know, her parents noticed how confident she was, you know, going through the sea of reporters, ask, answering questions, posing for pictures. And that very night they were flown um, to New York to appear the next morning on the Today Show. But that evening they had a um, ABC Nightline producer who was trying to get them to come on their show. At night, I think it was like 10 or 11 p.m. And I thought to myself, you know, she went to, you know, she went to school. She dealt with reporters this whole afternoon. She flew to New York. And that evening, she appeared on Nightline uh, live on national TV. And um, she did remarkably well. I mean, uh, for any age. You know, she was asked questions like, you know, a couple asked her, well, now that you've gone through this experience, and I must say it's one of the more effective exercises in diplomacy that we've seen in this country in quite a while. Now that you've completed it, what do you conclude from all of this? And she said, well, I just hope we can have peace and I hope we'll do some good. And, and that was just the beginning, really. It was already like the task of writing the letter was considered uh, an effective exercise in diplomacy, and it was considered completed. And little did they know that, you know, how well she'd do on the trip and um, how well she'd do through all the interviews. Yeah, it was amazing. I think what she was able to do, probably something that she didn't even expect, something she really believed in, I guess. Yeah. Incredible. 
Incredible. Now, your first sort of real sight of Samantha is a Soviet TV crew visit her home. Can you remember what you saw that day? Yes, I remember seeing the town. You know, they kind of were panning uh, around the town. The Soviet crew went looking for her or they set it up as if they were went looking for her. And they showed the post office. And I noticed how different the town looked. And to kind of give you an idea, you know, this was the first look at a Western town, American town that I had. The level of isolation that was present in the country at the time, we just didn't see that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, sure, there were like some Czech fairy tales we watched. So, you know, fairy tale, old fashioned buildings, but seeing a, a real American town was in and of itself amazing. And then they um, were in her house and they kind of panned uh, to her face. I think she was standing in a meadow. And I remember looking at the face and I thought, she looks just like any other kid. And in fact, she looks very much like me if I had long hair. And then I noticed her parents and her mom looked very much like my mom. And um, I, I, just, I don't know what I expected Americans to look like. But seeing that for the first time was... Um, I was very curious. It was quite amazing to um, to be allowed, I guess, that that glimpse into into the life. And then hearing, because the narrator sort of uh, followed her around the house, and she uh, showed the books, and that she liked, uh, told them that she liked to rollerblade. And since I ice skated, I really uh, saw that kinship. I'm like, yeah, you know, the need for speed. And then um, they said that she played soccer. And I remember to me, I thought, wow, you know, there's a place out there where, you know, girls can play soccer. Because uh, in the Soviet Union, at least, you know, amongst people that I knew, uh, soccer was the boy sport. Like we kicked all as girls, but we never like played soccer in its, you know, full game. I thought that was just so amazing that a girl played soccer. So definitely I saw the these kind of differences, but then also I saw similarities in the weather, um, the way the, the leaves were just starting to kind of appear on the trees. And yeah, my family, we talked about it for a while. And I think there also another thing I remember is she said that she was in fifth grade. And I remember doing the math and realizing, oh, there's this place where kids go to school a year earlier than we did. Because back then in the Soviet Union, we started at seven. So yeah, like navigating all of those um, new things was, was fun for me as a kid. Because you're living in Archangel at the time, which is right in the north of the Soviet Union. And so you're reliant on Soviet media, really, for your information, I guess. I think we all were, as a country, as a whole, were pretty um, isolated. Well, there was no international uh, foreign films allowed. So there were no foreigners on the streets, even though we were a Soviet port city. Uh, they were always whisked, you know, from the, their ships into this international friendship club. So, um, yeah, this was the first American uh, family that many of us uh, at the time um, saw on TV. And um, in that, it was pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. This is the time of Ronald Reagan. This is his first term. He's been three years in office and he's begun seeking dialogue with the Soviet Union, but he seems to sort of misstep because he gives out this speech labelling the Soviet Union as the evil empire. And within the Soviet Union at this time, there is a real paranoia amongst the Soviet leadership that America will attack them first with nuclear weapons. And they've actually got an intelligence program operating in the West to try and detect um, any preparations for a first strike as well. So this was probably the nearest period since the Cuban Missile Crisis that the Cold War could have turned hot. It's, it's a dangerous time in the world. Yeah. And um, when I was reading about that part, you know, for the background information, you know, of the Cold War and like as a disclaimer, you know, I am a citizen historian. I do not have uh, deep knowledge of the, the conflict. And it's possibly a good thing for this book in that my story was that of a, of a common person. And we were not privy to the information that was available to the governments. And we didn't have the, the official diplomatic solutions to the problems that could have been solved at that level, and yet they weren't. So um, we, as people, lived in fear of each other. And what was interesting is when I was reading about the situation that was going on in the, in the background, it appeared that there was fear on both sides, and they literally had such limited information about each other that I think Reagan at some point asked one of his um, you know, advisors, are they really afraid of us? Or is this all just, you know, but they're just saying that. So to have at such high levels, such, I don't know, fear or lack of information, it seems so dangerous. Sometimes asking questions uh, is actually the way to go. And Samantha, Samantha kind of expressed that, you know, I think our collective uh, fear in, in that letter. And I think that's what got the attention of both sides. Absolutely. If we move on to sort of like July 1983, Samantha's preparing for her trip to the Soviet Union. And you're also preparing for a trip to your pioneer summer camp. But sadly, it's not Artek. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, they were um, getting ready to go to the Soviet Union. They were getting their, um, they had lots of items donated. There were uh, T-shirts, uh posters, cards, um, lobster stickers, you know, the symbol of Maine, they kind of thought that, you know, if the Soviets are going to promote their country, they're going to promote Maine. So they were um, getting all these gifts ready. And they had this one gift that they were trying to keep hidden from the media because the media followed them everywhere. When they'd go to a college bookstore to pick up the gifts, the media would be there. So they were trying to keep this uh, book that they bought, um, and later it was revealed it was a book of Mark Twain's speeches because, you know, uh, Androfov referred to her as, uh, compared her to Becky Thatcher. So I guess they thought it would be a, a cute gift to give. There was kind of a, an interesting story with that book later, years later, uh, someone contacted me and said that somehow they got a hold of the book. I don't know how it, you know, drifted uh, from the collection of the general secretary and where it went. But um, somebody was trying to, um, they sent me a picture of, of the, you know, the signature in the book. And they were trying to see if I was interested in getting the book, but they wanted a little too much for it. So um, 
they were preparing to go to the Soviet Union and I was getting ready to go um, to the pioneer camp as it was um, known kind of after the young pioneer organization. And it was, uh, I knew that it was at, um, on the sea. I think it was on Azov Sea. And um, for someone from the north of where I was from, it was a very, um, it's like a coveted trip because it was warm. Uh, you know, our hangos, if we were lucky, there'd be a couple of days in the summer that we'd have like plus 20. So going uh, to the sea was a dream come true. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't our tech. The way, you know, the preparations, like every single piece of my um, luggage had to have a label, you know, my socks, my skirts, my underwear, everything had to be labeled, you know, for the fear I lose it. There wasn't that much to lose, but if I lost it, yeah, it would not be a good thing. So I had a little list inside of my suitcase and I had to like, you know, check out the items and check it back in when I was to come home. Um, so I kind of, I, I understood this not going to be as um, fun as Artec. And um, another thing that Artec had, I also, like, I felt like I'm going to be missing out on is international sessions. We didn't obviously have international sessions in regular pioneer camps. So you never got to meet kids from another country. So yes, that was, uh, that was the big difference between, uh, you know, my going to camp experience and um, hers. Well, and also, I, I don't know how long camp sessions are in um, the UK, but in the States currently, they're about a week. Soviet summer camp was a 45-day commitment. So for a seven-year-old, um, that, was, that was a long time to be away from home. But um, I, I looked forward to it. We don't really have summer camp over here. It's not a thing. It certainly wasn't for me as a kid. Um, wow. I feel I've missed out now. <laughs> well, hey, my kids love it. And uh, that's something that I actually loved oddly uh, because I really don't like super organized activities. But I went uh, on vacation with my parents uh, once in my childhood and uh, when I was eight. And I decided that camps were way better um, because, you know, we were allowed to do like if we were going to go into the sea, we had that half hour in the sea and we were left to our own devices. You know, with the parents, it was always that oversight um, that for some reason I did not find as fun. But yes, uh, camp culture was very big in the Soviet Union. Um, and there were like package deals that every company would get because it was from my mom's uh, company that uh, I got to go to this location. Right, yeah, it was big across the whole of the Warsaw Pact countries as a thing. So Samantha arrives in the Soviet Union. What's the initial reaction to uh, her arrival? Well, she was met as a dignitary. She uh, was met by Gennady Yanayev, who... Um, later became the first and uh, only vice president of the Soviet Union. Uh, at the time, I think he was um, in charge of the Soviet-American Friendship Society. There were a couple of other individuals. Um, Gennady Fedosov was uh, a diplomat and uh, Natalia Batova, who was also a diplomat and uh, later became Samantha's interpreter. So, she received a dignitary's welcome right as she stepped off um, the airplane. They were um, 
driven to their hotel, the Sovietskaya Hotel, which was reserved for the guests of the Soviet leadership, you know, driven in a limo with a police escort. And really everywhere they went, um, they were followed by the media. I think there were 30 accredited uh, journalists that were kind of part of the entourage that uh, went with them. And really, it was an effort, I think, on the part of the Soviets to um, show the Soviets as, you know, peace-loving. Yeah, I guess the U.S. government are worried about the propaganda impact they're going to get out of of this. I mean, were, were they accompanied by any diplomatic representation, or was this seen as a private person's trip? Yeah, it was seen as a private person's trip. And in fact, initially, there was no contact. Um, there was no um, message from the U.S. government uh, on her trip. I think Arthur did contact the State Department to sort of get um, their input and ask for some advice. And uh, there was a um, representative of the State Department that visited uh, the Smiths before the trip to kind of help them with their questions that they had and their main question really was is that what if they ask us to do something that we wouldn't feel comfortable doing you know how, how do we um, navigate that and um, he basically told them they wouldn't they wouldn't do anything to embarrass you a, 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 and create an issue and that really kind of calmed them down because for the Smiths it was really a trip uh, for Samantha they were treating it as a invitation, but it was a private trip. They did not really um, care much for the, you know, the media circus that surrounded it. They wanted, since they kind of brought Samantha up in a way that you have to ask questions, and that she did, and she this was an opportunity. They did not want to deny her the opportunity, but they wanted it to be treated more as a private trip of a private citizen. Now she doesn't go straight to Artec. She does visits puppet theatres and um, various other places. It sounds like it's quite a grueling schedule that she's put through. Yes, it was. And uh, later when I was interviewing Natalia Batova, who was uh, their interpreter, and she said, and she was part of the, you know, team that was organizing the trip. It turned out that there was a misunderstanding when they were asking the Smiths, what would you like to see in the Soviet Union? The Smiths thought that it was just give us some ideas, you know. And so they just put made a list of items thinking like, well, if they pick a couple here, a couple there, it's going to be great. Well, the Soviets thought that this is what they wanted to see. And so when Natalia looked at the list, like this is is not going to work. This is just way too many things. So they created a schedule that... uh, even Natalia knew that, you know, seasoned diplomats couldn't keep up with that kind of schedule because they arrived in Moscow and, you know, after, because there were no air flight flights could not go into the States. So they went through uh, Montreal. Then they came to, to Moscow. And that very night, they took them to the puppet theater. <laughs> you may imagine the jet lag. And they had to go and, you know, act uh, like, you know, and they were fine. <laughs> So, um, and yes, the next morning, you know, they toured the Kremlin, the Red Square, uh, I think it was the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And then that evening, she flew to Artek. And then um, she spent a couple of three days, I think, in Artek. And then they brought them to um, Leningrad and then Moscow again. So, yes, um, 
there were two, two, three, four uh, events sometimes that she had to attend. And while her parents could actually, you know, take a break uh, and, you know, one or the other could go, if Samantha didn't show up, the event would be canceled. So Samantha had to be at every single one of those events. And um, she did incredibly well by all accounts. You know, her dad, I remember, said that she could have had a royal meltdown because she was only 11. And yet, you know, she didn't. She was really like she really somehow understood, you know, what her role was um, representing, you know, her country. And um, one of the reporters, American reporters that traveled with them, I think um, he said something like, if there ever was a question what an American looked like, um, Sam answered it. You know, she uh, really did well. Uh, your grandma's keeping you updated, even though you're in pioneer camp on the Sea of Azov. She's uh, writing to you, I presume, in closing newspaper cuttings and all sorts of stuff. Was she doing that? Yeah, well, letter days were a big thing uh, in the Soviet camps because there were, you know, there was no phones, uh, telegrams. You know, if you get a telegram, you knew somebody died. So it was, it had to be letters. And thankfully, my mom knew that um, it was important to get a letter. So um, they would get all the updates on the neighborhood. And of course, my grandma had in- to include that, you know, Samantha did this today or Samantha is now at the Black Sea. So I would get these regular updates and um, she would save the clippings for me, which later came in very handy for my um, collection that I started. Yeah, my grandma was a Samantha Smith fan. For some reason, really uh, felt close to, to this girl and um, really loved her. Yeah. 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 Now, one of the many things I, I enjoyed about this book, but I think that this is one of the things I really enjoyed is you've managed to find some of the people who were interacting with Samantha during the, the tour. And I want to talk about a, a, a few of them, but let, let's start off with uh, Natasha Kasherina. Natasha Kasherina, is that a good pronunciation? Natasha Kasherina, uh-huh. Natasha Kasherina. Oh, Kasherina. Okay. Not got it quite, but almost there. Um, who became known as Samantha Smith's Soviet friend. What can you tell us about her? Well, you know, um, I saw many pictures of Natasha uh, from that time period. And for many, many, many years, I thought uh, Natasha was specially picked to be Samantha's friend. And that, you know, because she spoke English or that, that maybe she was well connected. And somehow, because to be given this role of Samantha Smith's Soviet friend, it was so important because, you know, Samantha... Smith in the summer of 83 was the celebrity. And um, I was very surprised when um, I talked to Natasha. I lo- it took me a while to locate her, um, but she um, actually lived in Southern California, uh, where I was at the time as well. And she told me that the whole trip uh, to Artec was a, a sheer accident. Somebody... Um, backed out of the trip to Artec last minute, and her uh, mom was an English teacher in the school where um, that Artec, you know, package was given to. And the principal of the school called her and he asked, would your daughter like to go? And of course, you do not say no to a trip to Artec. So her mom said yes. 
And that's how Natasha uh, Kashirina ended up on the train going to Artec. And of course, little did she know that, you know, on top of getting this wonderful uh, experience of being in this, the most famous camp in the Soviet Union, that she'd also um, get to, to meet um, Samantha. And um, that was completely unexpected at the last weeks of uh, the time in the camp is when they were told that um, there's going to be this young girl from the United States who is the guest of the Soviet leader, which in and of itself was strange because how can a kid be a guest of the Soviet leader that she's going to be staying in their camp? Artek was divided in, into several camps. So the sea camp was where Natasha was um, stationed and they told her that, you know, the girl is going to be uh, staying with you guys. And they were very excited because, of course, none of them had ever met an American before. And Natasha was one of the few people who spoke English. Um, she took English in school, although she'd never spoken to a foreigner before, so she wasn't sure if she actually knew the language well enough. But um, someone wrote a speech, and they had them memorize um, the speech and recite it. And uh, Natasha, I guess, did the best job and was picked to be um, Samantha's Soviet friend because she did so well on that speech. Although she was not sure whether she would really understand her when she met her. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. What memories did uh, Natasha pass on to you of, of Samantha? Well, what really stood out for me, she said that how um, easygoing she was, you know, she said she was really graceful. And on that first, because they went to the airport um, to meet her, it was the, the, the whole group of uh, kids all dressed up to go to meet Samantha. And as soon as they got into the van, you know, she just felt like she was one of them. You know, she didn't speak a word of Russian, but... She had great mimicry. She was super, you know, excited to meet the kids. She'd really listen. And then she didn't understand something. She tried to get the translation. And um, whatever worries Natasha had, she said, uh, about being able to communicate with her dissipated that first evening in the van because she said this girl could communicate even though she didn't really speak our language. So um, they got along very quickly, uh, very um, easily as, uh, you know, they were all about the same age. And then, of course, they got to spend some time, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one as well, because um, in the Soviet camps, there's this tradition of the quiet hour. And in Artek, um, it was called absolute, not to be confused with the vodka, because it would have to be uh, spent in absolute silence. And Samantha was excused uh, from that quiet hour. And so Natasha and their camp counselor were uh, allowed to, you know, go to the beach and swim, swim and, you know, play. So Natasha really um, cherished these one-on-one um, -on -one times. You know, they, she told me like they caught jellyfish and um, skipped stones. And um, Samantha, you know, sang some American songs to her. So it was, it was, you know, I think that even if I got to experience something like that back then, 
it was probably a very um, unique experience uh, for a Soviet kid. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's you know, it's just kids doing what kids do, and exactly. Obviously, so Samantha up to this point has probably been quite cocooned from any, you know, being able to directly interact with any Soviets, and actually being with kids of her own age and being able to communicate, even though she can't speak the language, must have been a, you know, a fantastic opportunity for her. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, her dad made a point that when they arrived in Artek, that she'd be allowed to spend time with the children and that the cameras would sort of step back. And they tried, you know, to to kind of corral the media and um, allow her to have that time with the children. And um, I think that's that's why I think Artek became the highlight of her trip. You know, it was something that was very memorable, something that she, um, you know, she actually, I think, said in her final speech that she hoped she hoped to come back. She really enjoyed uh, enjoyed the time in camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think the first night she she slept in the dorm room with the other girls. Um, which, you know, if you're that exhausted, you you probably wouldn't want to do that. And she was out like a light. I think I think I read in the book. Yeah, yeah. She was. Um, yeah, I think that's what impressed um, many people who were, uh, you know, around her at the time. Is when they asked her, "Do you want to stay with your parents or with the children?" And she said, "With the children." And then, um, yeah, they um, they were hoping that they'd get to chat a lot, but she was really tired, and you know, she just went to sleep. And they were like, "Oh, well, she's asleep." But I, I, you know, that in itself, I think, was pretty brave to, you know, be in a country where you don't speak the language, you don't really know anyone, and you're like, oh yeah, I'll stay with a, and I, you know, I don't know exactly how big the the rooms were in Camp Artek, but in a Soviet camp, there's quite a few people in this room. It's not like you get a private suite by any means, so it was a lot of strangers, and yeah, she just went to bed and woke up the next morning, and happy to see everyone. Because your book's got some great photos in there, and from photos that I, I don't think I'd seen before, and you managed to get hold of the photographer for the uh, Pioneers Truth, which I think was the Pioneers magazine, and and chat with him. What what did he say about Samantha? Yes, I got to um, meet with Vladimir Mashatin, who was um, at the time the correspondent for Pionierska Pravda, uh, Pioneers Truth, which was the premier um, children's newspaper. So he really approached this assignment, you know, very thoughtfully. He knew that because he was a kid's uh, newspaper correspondent that he would get prime, you know, a kind of attention, I guess, in Artek. He knew that if he was going to go follow her around in Moscow, you know, he'd be in the back somewhere. So he went ahead of time to Artek, you know, scouted the location, although he had been, I think this was his 23rd trip to Artec. So he knew the locations, location pretty well. But um, he also knew that there would be some um, KGB assigned to the, the location during her visit. So he went, made friends with them and um, knew which uh, camp she'd be in, what building she'd be in. So he'd know where she'd go uh, the next morning for their exercise routine. And um, yeah, he scouted out the place and um, was ready at six in the morning um, the next morning. But his really first impression of her was how easygoing and um, open she was to this completely uh, 
different experience. You know, I don't know if she'd ever had to wake up early in the morning and do uh, this calisthenics routine uh, with tens of other children and then run into the cold sea for a swim, as was the tradition in camp. But she did, he said, and, you know, she's, she laughed through it all, played some games with them, you know, dunked herself under the water. And he was just so impressed with this kid. I and mean, he was in awe. He's like, he said that it was just so amazing that there was a child like that. I guess, because he commented how more reserved the Soviet kids were and how open um, Samantha seemed. And yeah, he took some really great images. Yes. Oh, they're, they're great. They're great. It's almost as though if you've done an audition for a young girl to send to the Soviet Union to show the best of the United States, you couldn't have found anybody better than Samantha Smith. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what Ambassador Hartman said. You know, he said they were just as if they were right from central casting. Mom and dad and um, Samantha. Samantha was just so photogenic. And, you know, uh, her counselor, I think she mentioned how uh, her smile reminded them with the Soviets at the time called Gagarin's smile. You know, this really bright uh, twinkle in in your eye kind of um, smile that was just disarming. You know, there was just, yeah. Even you, you could not not like the person with that kind of smile. It was just so uh, wonderful. I mean, one of the little details I love in this book is the uh, the almost international incident over the color of the hot dogs in the uh, Artek cafeteria. <laughs> yes. Um, well, uh, Olga, her uh, camp counselor, was summoned to um, once to the table to. Um, examine you know this is like i don't know what some in natasha was saying i don't know what she wants i don't know what she's asking and samantha was looking at the hot dogs that were being served and said why are they yellow and august she's like i didn't have a response i don't know maybe because they are not really made of as meat so um and of course you know they were being watched by um the cafeteria director and immediately they brought in like a tray of uh, crepes and jams and things to make sure that the American guest um, ate. And um, later, when I was uh, I already submitted the manuscript, I was following this uh, main uh, group on Facebook, and apparently there is uh, the type of a hot dog in Maine that is very very red. And I, I I never approached Jane to see if that was the hot dog that Samantha was accustomed to, but. They looked red, like as if there's might be some food coloring in them even. So if that was what she was comparing it to, I could see how uh, Soviet hot dogs were definitely anemic looking. Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War Uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week. To be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War, as a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. 
Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. It looks like she has a great time there. She's a massive hit with the kids and with the press there. But I think her, her last day trip from Artec is to the, the location of the Yalta conference, which was a, a conference towards the end of World War II between the uh, Soviet leader Joseph Stalin, Franklin Roosevelt, who was the US president, and uh, Winston Churchill, and she's uh, honoured to be allowed to sit in uh, Roosevelt's seat. Yeah, yes, that was what really um, impressed her counselor. She thought it was a kind of a symbolic thing that it uh, on that tour of the Livadia Palace Museum, they allowed this American girl to sit in the American president's chair at this tense moment in um, history again. Um, because by then, you know, Olga had really come to love Samantha. She spent only three days with her and her entire uh, perspective on Americans um, have changed just by meeting this, uh, you know, 11-year-old kid. Um, so, yes, it was symbolic, I guess, in the way to, to see this kid given that opportunity to sit in the chair. So she returns to Moscow but there's n no meeting with Andropov, which was the expectation was that she would actually meet the Soviet leader. But at this point, he's quite ill, although they give some other reason that he's too busy meeting the mm -hmm. Estonian Communist Party leader. Or I, I can't remember what the excuse is, but it's pretty weak anyway. Yeah, he was ill. He um, was on dialysis by then. And in fact, you know, he passed away only seven months later. So um, by some accounts, when I was uh, kind of looking into it, he even had um, some people described that he had his um, hands were bandaged up to the knuckles. So because of, of the IVs. So it's possible that that wouldn't have been a great photo op, you know, to have this really frail, uh, gaunt uh, man meet with this you know, exuberant child. So that probably was um, asked, although, you know, Samantha did ask every day. Are we going to meet on drop-off? Are we going to meet on drop-off? And um, Natalia Batova, who was their interpreter, she she also was never given uh, a no until the last day. So um, there was that kind of idea of hope that maybe um, they would, but then they didn't. And Samantha was disappointed, but, you know, she really um, did well at the press conference, you know, explaining that, yes, he was busy and um, that, you know, he wished her well. And he did send a delegation of, uh, you know, his associates with gifts. You know, she got a beautiful Russian samovar, a gorgeous uh, Pollock brand new uh, lacquered box and lots of uh, different little gifts as well as uh, two large um, photo albums which are now um, as part of the Samantha Smith collection at the Maine State Museum which were full of beautiful colored photographs of her trip. And the Smiths were given um, permission to use these photos in the media or wherever they need to promote, um, you know, Samantha's trip to the Soviet Union. What was the reaction when she got home from this trip? Well, when she got home, um, she was invited to uh, the Manchester uh, parade. It was in her hometown. Uh, I think it was a Manchester Day parade. 
she was, uh, you know, driven in the limo and she was given the key to the city. So her town really acknowledged her as this ambassador, this representative of Maine to the world and as a little diplomat. And um, when she went to school, though, she, you know, like the Smiths noticed that, you know, some kids were wanting to be her friends now who didn't want to be her friends before, maybe possibly because she was famous. Um, she wasn't doing so great in school. Um, not that she was a wizard by any means, uh, according to Jane prior to that, but she wasn't uh, keeping up with her things. And they just really got worried thinking that, you know, was this summer just too much, you know, so much attention that there's just nothing is going to, you know, compare to that level of excitement um, that the trip was. And some kids were mean to her, you know, she was um, called a commie um, and that did um, upset her. And, you know, kind of in the end, you know, Arthur told her, just don't, um, you know, don't talk about the trip. Yeah, unless asked, do, do not volunteer the information. And I think that was sort of uh, her goal in school. She just wanted to be like everyone else, even after even after that big uh, trip that was received such huge coverage on the news. What was the U.S. government's reaction to it? Um, well, there was no official reaction uh, before or after the trip. But as I was uh, researching uh, the story at the uh, Reagan Library, I came across a proposal um, that was actually explored uh, by some uh, people around uh, Reagan administration who wanted to create a situation where, you know, a, a letter from a Jewish boy uh, could have been routed via some tourists from Tbilisi to uh, ask President Reagan uh, whether or not, you know, he could travel to the United States and then Reagan would invite him um, to the States and whether the he, the boy would be granted visa or not because he was a Jewish, uh, Soviet Jewish uh, refusenik. This would be a perfect situation, you know, to exploit so that President Reagan could um, take a stance on um, the human rights issue. And it was seen as an opportunity, uh, quote unquote, to combat the news coverage on Samantha Smith, which, uh, you know, to me, uh, when I you know, looked at it at the, at the library, I thought that was such a strange um, approach, you know, that this was such an opportunity that even the ambassador recognized it as a great opportunity, um, you know, to showcase Americans in the Soviet Union, that there was that sense that there was a need to somehow tone it down, you know, in the news, that it wasn't all that, um, you know, glorious over there. And I think any common um, person with a common sense knew it wasn't that glorious in the Soviet Union, but that, you know, there were similarities amongst us and both people did want to, to live uh, in peace and not um, have the nuclear war. Couple of months after her visit, there's a real freeze in Soviet US relations when the Soviet Union shoots down a Korean airliner, killing all the crew and passengers. And I think there was a US senator aboard it as well. How did Samantha and the family deal with that? And obviously, this must have put Samantha in quite a difficult situation. Um, what is the impact on her and the family? Well, yeah, they, they learned just like everyone else did uh, from the news. And I think Samantha's uh, initial response was, you know, how could they do something so stupid? So um, 
it was huge news all over the world. Probably not as big news in the Soviet Union, but um, you know, Reagan made his speech about you know this this gruesome killing of I think it was two sixty nine two hundred sixty nine uh, passengers and crew that that passed away in that crash. Yeah, the reporters came to Manchester Elementary and they wanted to have this eleven year old's uh, opinion on what happened. And uh, I think Arthur, her dad, was surprised. He said, "You know." She uh, she's an 11 year old kid. She does not sit around and discuss politics. You know, what we uh, saw in the Soviet Union were, were, were just people. You know, they were not privy to uh, what goes on at, at the high levels of um, government and the, the mistakes uh, that are made up there, you know, isn't something that is, um, you know, Samantha's responsibility by any means or the common people probably responsibility. Yeah, it was it was kind of odd. I think that the news thought that you know she needed to to comment or that they needed to have her comment on that. And of course, they that's when um, you know Jane remembers that's when the news coverage of Samantha sort of stopped um, for for a few months. They were they did not stop the phone stopped ringing, and they actually thought, "Wow, we are going to be able to go back to our normal life now, our normal routine." Until you know a few months later. As news cycles go, um, they were contacted again for her to appear on um, the Today Show. I think she was asked to interview a U.S. Arms Control Agency director um, about nuclear uh, proliferation. Yeah, I guess somehow someone somewhere thought that she was still, um, a dr- there was a draw. Yeah. Her presence on TV and her way of communicating opens doors for her sort of professionally as well because she's she's offered she starts to get tv roles and um, she ends up in a series with robert wagner called lime street she did quite a few appearances almost right after she came back and uh the smiths were contacted by um hollywood producer al burton who said, you know, Samantha ha- will have a great future in TV. Would you like me to explore the possibilities? And of course, when they asked Samantha, you know, she was super excited about the possibility. So um, you're never going to say no to that, are you? I mean, if, if you're that age. <laughs> exactly. You, Yeah. Um, so she said yes. And they, you know, cautiously um, agreed to that. And uh, it wasn't a whole lot at the beginning. You know, she traveled to Japan uh, to to give a speech at the Children's Symposium in Kobe. Um, then she was asked, I think it was in 1984, uh, she did uh, a special for the Disney Channel, which was a brand new channel at the time, looking for the new project. And she interviewed all the presidential candidates, which was, that was pretty big. And um, again, she was just so Im- impressive. You know, people who worked with her that I interviewed, they just said that, you know, she was just a natural. She had great sense for the questions that should be asked. You know, she participated in putting together the interview questions. Her delivery was really on point. She was great at memorizing her text, her lines. And um, then she got a little uh, guest appearance on Charles in Charge. I think she was uh, there along with Julianne McNamara, who was an Olympic gymnast. And then that, in a way, led to... uh, a part in um, the Lime Street series uh, where she co-starred with uh, Robert Wagner. And um, 
yeah, traveled on location to um, California, I think it was Virginia, and um, London. The sad part of this story, though, is it ends in tragedy. Um, can you just tell me about the uh, the circumstances of what happens? So, yes, uh, when Samantha was uh, coming back from London, uh, she uh, traveled with her father, and um, they were our flying from uh, London to New York to Boston, and then they were slated to um, arrive in Augusta at 7.29 p.m. that evening. And, you know, as I, when I was researching the story, I remember looking up um, the time of sunset in uh, Augusta, Maine on August 25, 1985, and it was 7.28 so, you know, given the circumstances of what happened, I thought, you know, if they just made that flight, you know, it would still be light. But um, unfortunately, in Boston, there was a lot of rain. Um, lots of flights got canceled. Uh, I was not able to ascertain whether they missed the previous flight or, or the flight was canceled in Boston or, or what exactly happened. But they um, were put on a later flight. And in the last minute, there was... Uh, an additional stop added to their trip. They were to go from Boston to Auburn-Lewiston, and then they were going to go to Augusta. And it was um, as they were landing in Auburn-Lewiston that uh, the plane clipped the trees and um, turned over and um, exploded. And um, Samantha, her dad, and um, other passengers and uh, crew, eight um, total, uh, were killed in um, the plane crash. And um, Jane was at the airport waiting for them. Uh, she came to the airport twice. And um, the first time, you know, she was told that the plane was delayed. And then um, she came back and waited for them. And the flight was again delayed and nobody would give her any information until she started to see that there was a, you know, the clerk, the airline clerk walking back and forth. Um, in, in and out of the office. And then he came up to her and he said, um, I'm sorry, it's down, ma'am. And she literally had no idea what that meant. You know, where is it down? Was it a bumpy landing? What happened? And um, so she asked him, like, what do you mean it's down? And, you know, he told her the plane has crashed, ma'am. And that is when, um, you know, she did not know what to do. She kind of considered briefly to to maybe she'd drive to Auburn. Um, then she contacted a friend and uh, the friend drove her to um, the crash site and they were allowed uh, to actually go past the police and the fire trucks. And uh, when she saw the plane, later she found out that it was covered in foam because of the fire. But she, to her that night, it looked like it was, um, you know, a pile of ashes. So she knew that um, they were gone. Can you remember hearing that news when you were in the Soviet Union? Yes, actually, you know, that is where I kind of start my book is where um, it was a few days before the school started. Um, September 1, you know, every year was the same time that it started. And I heard on the news, um, I was packing my school bag and I heard uh, they, the reporter said that Samantha Smith is no more. And um, for a young child, I was 10 at the time, about to turn 10. I remember thinking, how could it be, you know, to, to kind of have 
that gravity of news that somebody who was so close to you in age is gone. And um, of course, I'd never met her, but it felt like as if I knew her. And that is where I um, started collecting the information about her, you know, in a way, thinking that preserving the memory was important. And, you know, that's when my parents noticed that uh, I became really good at record keeping. I, I wasn't in the past, you know, I was anytime they'd give me a photograph from like, you know, our group picture from school, I just deposited somewhere randomly on the table. And now I started filing things carefully. I went looking for the clippings that my grandma found for me. I before couldn't find all of them, was really disappointed in myself, my younger self. And um, yeah, I started uh, looking through all the newspapers and that kind of became um, the project of my childhood, you know, this preservation of um, Samantha's memory. And through that need to preserve Samantha's memory, you managed to get in contact with Janie, Samantha's mum, and meet her. I mean, that, that must have been quite, quite moving. Yeah. So I, um, you know, this Samantha Smith uh, project became the big project of my childhood. But I have to add here, I was not the only Soviet child who collected scrapbooks, uh, as I have later learned. Because uh, in 2003, when my mom came to visit me uh, in the United States, we got to talking about my grandmother who had passed away by then. We remembered her, you know, in relation to Samantha Smith, because, you know, if you look back to think like, you know, here we are in the United States, remember how it would have been an impossible thing back in 1983. And we talked about Samantha. And that um, night I went looking online to see uh, if there was any mention of Samantha Smith. And I was surprised to find out that there wasn't anything except for a mention of the Samantha Smith Foundation on a um, sister city page, a Russian-American sister city exchanges. So I thought, you know, somebody needs to make a website about Samantha. And I did not know how to make websites. So I thought instead I would write um, to Jane, just, you know, introduce myself, say that, you know, Samantha was my childhood hero, that I collected uh, these clippings about her. I sent a picture of my family, I think. And that was kind of it. I did not expect a response back. You know, I thanked her for Samantha. I sort of, you know, done my part. And I was surprised to receive a response. Uh, Jane wrote me a very sweet card in which she actually said, do you know that Portland and Arhangelsk are sister cities? Uh, Portland, Maine and Arhangelsk are sister cities. And like I knew that. And then she said, it was so interesting to know what Samantha's adventure meant to you. And that is where I thought, you know, I, uh, maybe I should uh, be the one to make the website. So I figured out it usually takes me about a couple of years to get started on those kind of projects. And um, so I made the website and it's that collection of newspaper clippings that was the basis for it. And once I started the website, all these kids of my contemporaries, you know, came out of the woodwork sending me their clippings. Yeah, there were many kind people that came from really everywhere. And slowly the story started to come back. You know, there were uh, pictures of her starting to appear on the news agency site uh, in 2007. I think it was that the U.S. embassy in uh, Russia had a page dedicated to her, recognizing her role in the betterment of the Soviet-American relations. 
in 2005, I think it was, is when um, I contacted Jane because I was traveling to the East Coast. And I asked her, you know, would it be possible to meet? Again, not expecting a yes, just, you know, hoping. And um, she said, yeah, let's let's meet at Samantha's statue. And um, yeah, there I was with my kids and my mom. And um, we got to meet Jane, um, Jane Smith. And um, it's kind of a bittersweet moment is when, you know, she looked at my mom and she said, oh, your daughter looks just like you. And my mom looked at the statue of Samantha and she said, your daughter looks like you. So, um, and that was kind of the beginning of, um, you know, this collaboration because uh, with time, Jane shared um, her family archives with me. In 2017, my project was nominated for a, uh, an Allegra Johnson Prize in Memoir. So that gave me some confidence that, hey, maybe I do have what it takes to write um, the story. So I kept, you know, kept at it. And um, yeah, in 2021, I s- sold the book proposal. And um, yeah, the book is coming out June 1. I think Jane is right. I mean, the the fact that you coming at it from both sides makes the book more interesting. I mean, it's a fascinating story in itself. And the fact that it's not a scholarly article, and I don't mean that in an insulting way, it just makes it accessible. It's a great read. It's a fascinating story and a, and a very moving story. It is uh, definitely a Cold War Conversations recommended uh, purchase to uh, the listeners. The book is called America's Youngest Ambassador, The Cold War Story of Samantha Smith's Lasting Message of Peace. And... Uh, As Lena has said, it gets published on June the 1st, 2023, and uh, there'll be links in the episode notes for you to uh, purchase it. Don't miss the episode extras such as videos, photos, and other content. Just look for the link in the podcast information. The podcast wouldn't exist without the generous support of our financial supporters, and I'd like to thank one and all of them for keeping the podcast on the road if you'd like to help the project just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate the cold war conversation continues in our facebook discussion group just search for cold war conversations in facebook thanks very much for listening and see you next week Not enjoying the ads? Well, you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. By becoming a monthly or annual supporter, you'll enjoy ad-free listening, become a part of our community, receive the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster, and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information.